Right, let's get into today's case because today's case is an important case really. It covers domestic violence and it also covers the murder. It covers the murder of a 43-year-old woman, uh, Cyan um, Blake, and her two children was um, Zachary, I think age eight at the time of his murder, and Amon age four at the time of the murder. And they were murdered by Cyan's partner and the child's, um, the children's father. So it's, it's a um, domestic homicide, but it's, it's a really sad case, this one, and has got some disturbing content because I do state and read out what he says he did to them on the night of the 15th or the 14th or the 15th of December because he's never really said which night it was. But that's when they died, the 14th or the 15th of December 2015 in London uh, in the UK. So he also says this uh, Arthur Simpson Kent was his name, he was 49 at the time of his uh, of this murder, of these murders. He was also living with them in this household. He says that it was a joint suicide. He said a few different things, but one of the things he said, but this is a joint suicide, he was gonna kill. They was all planning to do this joint suicide. So, you know, that was proven to be untrue. Um, there was no way that that was gonna happen. Uh, the actual reason why the police and the judges and the jury and everyone that looks into this case thinks is that he murdered her because she was leaving him. That's the real reason for this. And uh, what he tries to say, there was no evidence at all that this was a, a you know a murder-suicide pact between them. No way, no way would Cyan hurt her children in any way. It has actually been noted that before the murders, that um, I mean, we'll go into her ill health in a minute, and you can understand why I'm saying this, is that she was also looking for schools. She's also been to her family and uh, made arrangements for these children and herself to leave this man. But we'll go into that in a little while um, down, the light, down the road. So let's talk about uh, Cyan Blake, this British actress. She was uh, not just an actress, actually. She was a um, director. She'd done lots of stuff. She'd worked on um, the West End stage and stuff. So she'd done a lot in her time. And she really enjoyed it. She loved being, you know, um, on the stage. She was born in London. She was born in Walthamstow in London in um, 1972. She had attended the um, Guildford School of Acting. So she really wanted to be an actress from early on. Um, I think her father was from Jamaica and her parents, uh, I, think she was, I think she was one of three children. Uh, and I think you'll see a lot of her sister in different videos that they've they've done and um, when they when they talk about this murder so if you want to have a look more her sister says quite a, a lot about this murder but um so she her father was jamaican and um, i think they divorced when she was about six years old um and, her, and then her father died of um, a heart attack when she was 18. so you could say really her character from that when we talk about people that you know go into domestic relationships or have domestic violence in their relationships their character sort of built up from a young age and I think with Sean her character shows in when she played um, a TV character in this soap of EastEnders which is massive and most of you around the world would have heard of EastEnders um, the TV soap show we've got here in the UK which has been going since 1985 
um, it's a great show. It, it portrays you know, this East End um, culture. And Sean, uh, Cyan, sorry, was in that. And she, her character that she portrayed, um, because I think, how can I explain it? East Enders do this controversial stuff, really. They bring out issues, um, which is generally out there in the community. And I think they really try and show issues that's happening in real life. And the, her character was portrayed as someone bad in this soap. But what happens? What well, what happened is that a lot of characters in this soaps or any soaps or any TV portrayal of a character, a lot of people that watch it believe their characters are real. So as uh, Cyan was getting into this character, and I think she'd done 56 episodes on EastEnders, she was getting actual real-life death threats and stuff. She was being, you know, really harassed. You know, a lot of harassment was coming from her character that she portrayed on this show. And that's not what she was about. She was this quite calm and, um, you know, very quite soft personality that really couldn't handle it. And that's not what she got into acting for. So she left that show and then retired actually from acting. And then she became this um, sign language teacher and also an interpreter. So listen, this was a woman. It was a very talented woman, you know, lovely woman educated, was doing what she loved doing, and when she'd had enough of that because of other circumstances, she went on then to help others with this, you know, sign language and interpretation skills. So this woman worked. She also had two children that she loved and adored, these two children, absolutely loved and adored them, and um, was getting on with her life. Now, she did have health issues, and this she had um, motor neuron disease. Now, um, and this is where I think Arthur got this idea of trying to get away with this murder into this saying it was going to be this joint um, suicide pact. Because on, I think, the 11th of December, she was diagnosed terminally, actually, with that, with this motor neuron um, disease. And it, um, it was really these, it showed its symptoms in 2013. So by 2015, it was really escalating up and she, um, she was told that it was terminal. So she was making plans to get the children into different schools and sort the kids out and stuff like this. Not Nothing that you would do if you was going to do this mass suicide to, between you. This, that wasn't what she was about with these children. She wanted to leave these children in safety. She wanted to leave these children set up. This woman had worked all her life. She owned this home. That was her home. She'd worked for it, paid for it. And so there was no way that Cyan in any way was going to harm these children. So we, we knew from that and from what the family have said that there was no way of what Arthur was saying about that. That was true. Now, she wanted to leave Arthur for a very long time, I think. But again, with a lot of people in domestic relationships that are like this, you know, where he is controlling and, and, and stuff, she felt sorry for him, you see. And she told her family that if she left him, he would have nowhere to live because the family, without doubt, would have locked this house up so he couldn't have got back in. They didn't like him. 
they just didn't, they knew what was going on, they didn't like him. And he, um, and they think that's why really in the end he killed her, because she had told him once she got this news that she was terminal and her life was going to end anyway, that she wanted to make sure that her children were the safest place that they could be. And I don't think she thought that was with him. I think she thought that was with her family. So about a week or so before her murder, she had told her family and had a, a talk with her family about moving back into their family home because this woman was now terminal with her children, but not with him. She had now, I think, come to the end. And I think when you're close to that end of life, you know, the most important thing to her at that time was making sure that her children were safe and her loyalty to this man and her this feeling of feeling sorry for this man had diminished she had she had no longer even that for him and i don't think he could stand that he really couldn't and so what she done was i think when she'd arranged made all these arrangements with the family she probably told him her plans and as usual you know when you have someone like this arthur who is so in control of you, and this narcissist that doesn't like this word, no. He had very big, grandiose ideas anyway about himself. That he killed her, and he killed them children. And then he fled back to Ghana. But let's go in to the day of the murder. On the 16th of December, 2015, it was science um, a family that reported her missing to police. Um, they had received texts and that from her saying that she was going away, um, she needed to get her head together, that she was going away and she was taking her children and she didn't want them having any influence over her at all in this and um, this was sent to the family and the sisters. Well, of course, the family had only seen her a week before or a few days before. They had made all these arrangements for her to come and live with them. So they knew straight away something was wrong here. So I think the police, you know, <laughs> you are talking about, and I, I, you know, there was an investigation actually or, or into this police itself, again, about their quickness of this investigation and, and you know, believe in the family because I think where Cheyenne uh, didn't really make much um, the domestic abuse known. It was a, the family's word against his, wasn't it really? He was a bit evasive when the family called the police and the police came round to see him. Uh, he didn't really want to let them in the home and stuff like this. In the end he did. And the police did have feelings about it. Uh, about something could could have gone wrong, but when you're talking about someone that's been diagnosed terminally, you've got text messages from this woman saying that she just needs time, she needs time to sort her head out. I don't think the police really believed at that point that she'd been murdered. I think they believed him, and that was the wrong thing to do. And I think this is why the inquiry into the police, because you can't, you know, you can't just believe on face value what someone's telling you. If a family that really knows this woman well is telling you one thing, it's the family that you should listen to. Because a lot of times, especially in domestic abuse cases or domestic homicide cases, 
you know, the partner is the closest one you should look at first. And I think they didn't do that straight away here. So there was no evidence really of Sean gone missing, but there was some issues with this Arthur. So not only had Sean sent out these messages, or did she? No, she didn't, it was him. But he also got local charities round and cleared out all of their personal items of Cyan uh, and the, the kids. The clothing was all gone, everything was all gone. And what he couldn't give away to charity, he burnt in the back garden before he went off to Ghana. And how he got to Ghana was, I think he went to Glasgow Airport via Amsterdam into Ghana and then sent a text message to someone, one of his friends, and said, I've had to come to Ghana, you know, um, it's either, you know, because of things that I've done, it's either come to Ghana or die. And that's, then the police really knew now that something's going on, but now you've got a perpetrator that needs to be extradited back from Ghana. Because in the meantime now, the police have actually gone in to the home and they have found, even though he's cleaned this home thoroughly, they have found bloodstains because you can never get rid of, it, rid of it all, can you, really? There's always going to be something, no matter how much you clean. Now these days with the, the DNA and the testing and the you know analysis that they do. And then the next day, they found three bodies buried in the back garden. And they were of Zion and the two children that he'd murdered. So let's go on now, because we know they brought him back. We know now he's standing trial, but there was a bit of issue with trying to get him back. He's, you know, they got him back from Ghana anyway, and he, he um, admitted then that he had killed them, but never really saying why. You know, saying, first of all, the suicide bit and uh, to try and get him an easier sentence, I think. And in the end, really, he didn't really say much. He just admitted to the murder. But I think it's quite clear why he murdered her. And that was because she was going to leave him and take his children away from him because this man was not good in any relationship. And especially bringing up two children when the mother will no longer be there because she's been diagnosed as terminally ill and at some point in the near future would have died. And I think this is case is so sad really, because he couldn't even let this woman die in peace. So let's go on now to what he says happened on the day of that murder. So Kent, um, you know, this Arthur Simpson Kent did return, I think on the 12th of um, February 2016 voluntary in the end from Ghana because there was no way that this British government were going to let this man get away of it and nor was Ghana that he was going to come back at some point and so in the end he voluntary returned he was arrested at Heathrow Airport um, for the murder of these three um, and then I think it was an interview or in a, a couple of interviews he didn't say much at first but then he did spoke, speak to a psychiatrist and he spoke to a couple of doctors and it was in that them interviews and, and that that he told what really happened. So this Arthur Simpson um, Kent, 49 at the time of these murders, he was a drug dealer, a cannabis dealer, and he did admit in court to bludgeoning um, and stabbing 
um, all three of these um, victims to death in their own home. So he, this is what the court know, he um, repeatedly battered um, her and her two boys to death. He then, um, and it was around the head and the neck with a small axe. So there was the sharp end and he bludgeoned her with the, the first bit. And I'm just outlining at the moment. I'm going to go into exactly what he says happened. Um, and then he wrapped them in um, plastic after he killed them, wrapped them in plastic and um, sheets and buried them in the garden. Now he said um, Cyan was head down, um, didn't really know it was coming and with the first blow made her unconscious. But when we look at the um, autopsies and we look at the pathologists and stuff like that, it looks like there'd been some struggle between at least uh, Cyan and um, her oldest son, Zachary. The youngest uh, boy looked like he had been just attacked in the bed and he was asleep, so he probably didn't know what was happening to him. But on the other two, there was indications of some form of fight back or some form of where there had been restraints used um, before they were murdered. And that's, I would always believe, you know, the autopsy and the um, pathologists and the psycho, you know, them rather than believe a murderer. And so um, I think she did know and she probably knew that her son's also going to be murdered on that night. It must have been a terrible for this woman. Now don't forget this woman was already terminal. It would have been more much difficult for her to fight back and do anything really and save these children or herself from this man that was this narcissistic, aggressive killer at this point. He says that um, he went blank and he just you know, it, it, like he came out of his body, he wasn't there, but he was there. Oh, he was there, and he knew he was there. This, this, this narcissistic man in him, um, he knew what he was doing, and he knew, he knew it, and he intended to kill. There was no way that this was an accident gone wrong or a suicide gone wrong. If you're going to do a suicide with your family, you wouldn't bludgeon them to death, knife them. That's not what would happen, especially when you're talking about your own children. The murder weapon has never been found, and um, I think how they've, the evidence, the pathology evidence shows that uh, Siam was killed first, and then it was the um, oldest child that was killed second, and then the youngest child was killed last. Um, there was clear evidence of that. Um, and again, it was repeated blows to the head and the um, neck with this blunt forced instrument and then also with an, um, a bladed type instrument which was the axe he uses but he used both sides of the axe the handle and the blade side of it to kill these people so in this killer's own words now when he was being interviewed this is what he says happened that night he says that, again, Cyan had her head down. She was sitting in the kitchen and the head was down and on the side, on, um, always kept on the side, was a small axe 
Um, and he just looked at her with her head down. She didn't know it was coming. And then he just bashed her once with this axe and uh, made her unconscious. And then just kept on hitting and hitting and hitting her until she was dead. That's what he says. Um, after that, he um, went blank, and he can't remember really, you know, you know, you know, doing anything else. He doesn't talk much about what he done to the children. It's like he didn't do it to the children. But he talks about how he, you know, she didn't know it was coming, and I could approach from the side and started on the back of the head and hit her. Then he says about where he wrapped the bodies up in this um, plastic and, and stuff and started then to bury them in the garden and then get rid of all their other stuff, as I've said, to the charity shops and other places and then make his way to texting people about her disappearance and now he's trying to cover it up. And then he, even after doing that, he tried to really say that this woman was part of this and was was willing to take her own children's life because she was terminal. I mean, this is a shocking predator, this. This is a person that's not only killed this woman and these children, he's tried to make her part of the blame of it. And she was no way ever part of any of this at all. This is in this sick man's mind trying to get him a lesser sentence. Well, it didn't work, the jury, no, the jury at all didn't believe a word this man had to say. To tell you the truth, they didn't, and nor did the judge. So you have this psychiatrist now that I've said that has um, interviewed him, you know, because you want to interview someone when they are, you want to find out whether they are insane, whether they have um, issues, whether the, what their defence would be really. Is it a defence that he was, um, you know, diminished responsibility. No, there was none of that. There was no history of um, depression or anything in this man's life. I think the psychiatrist did say that he featured, uh, he, his features were consistent with someone who was narcissistic. Um, he had this personality which was this grandiose idea of himself and, you know, he, he believed really his own bullshit. And um, I think people see through that in the end and you can you can see with him the way he tried to portray himself as this perfect person, you know, even after the, these murders. He had this self-importance about himself, even though he was only uh, a drug dealer, a cannabis dealer. She was the one that really had the intelligence. She was the one that had the go in life to go and train and do things and get a mortgage, pay for a home, look after her children. This man didn't have any of that. But he liked the look of it. He was married, wasn't he? Or in a relationship with um, someone who had been um, a really good British actress. He, he, he liked that. But what he didn't like was, I suppose, her taking the notoriety for it. And she really didn't. She, she had retired from that. But he liked to live off that. And I think this, you know, he had... <laughs> He was so arrogant, this man, even in interview, he was so arrogant, really arrogant man. And also he lacked all empathy, really, for even the killings, you know, the murders of his own children. His way of dealing with it was, well, I don't really speak about that, but, you know, I can't remember that bit, I've gone blank. But 
it, it, you know, this narcissistic someone when you try, and we've said this before with domestic abuse cases where people are trying to leave these people, um, it's very, very difficult and it's very, very dangerous. And so it's really good to, to really know about these domestic abusers, about your domestic abusers, know their personalities, know when to tell them you're going to do something or when not to because really she was murdered because she was going to leave him and she told him because she wanted to give him time to find himself somewhere to live. That's the most dangerous thing to do with a narcissistic personality is to be honest and put yourself at such risk of that because they don't want the word no, they don't like it. He couldn't believe it. He's living off her fame, even though she wasn't famous at that point, in his mind, he's living off that, off what she does. He's probably even living off her income, to tell you the truth. So it's very difficult when you talk about domestic abuse cases, and I've had a lot of comments on here from people that work with domestic abuse and what a great job they do. And it's so difficult to give people advice or not give people advice because until you really know each character of someone like this, it's difficult to give an, a, a rounded advice. You can't use just one piece of advice. Each case in domestic abuses case has to be dealt with on its own merits because these individuals can be so dangerous, really dangerous. And if someone or like that's why I would never tell anybody and nor do I advise anyone just to leave. You must seek help from professionals if you want to leave these people. They will know and want to know about this man's personality for this reason, because you wouldn't tell them then that you're leaving. You would just leave. You would go to the shop and never come back. There's different ways. So this case shows really this narcissistic character of this man that ended in not only murdering her but his own children because she was going to leave him and that's the only reason even though this woman was dying she was terminally ill he still wanted that power and this is what domestic abuse is about control and power she couldn't he couldn't even allow her to die herself, naturally. He had to be the one to take it. It's shocking, really. Really shocking, this case, when you think about it. And this poor girl's family are devastated and still devastated because they knew she was terminal. They accepted that Siam wouldn't be here for very long. But what they couldn't get over was the death of an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. It's shocking, this case. And for this man to do that and to take away their life because of this <laughs> dislike or hatred for what she was doing, because she was leaving him, it's really, really bad. And I really feel sorry for this family. I really do. Because <laughs> these poor children, the death they had as well, especially Zachary, the eight-year-old. 
it was terrible, really terrible. I think on the 5th of October 2016, Arthur Simpson Kent was sentenced to life in prison. And I think it was uh, Mr Justice Sy who sentenced Simpson um, Kent to life in prison. And he was, I think, shocked. It was, a, and this is a whole life sentence. This man ain't getting out. He isn't getting out. It's a whole life sentence. Um, meaning that he will not even become eligible for parole. He just can't have it. Now, I don't know why we don't use his whole life sentences, to tell you the truth, more in cases. Um, and we've had a lot of them that could have, could have easily have got full life sentences and we don't use them. But in this case, it was... Um, I think that I think the judge just you know um, there was no other way that this this could man could be released out because the minute you kill someone and you kill your own children like what he did and then tried to lie and and get his way out of it and his personality um, shone through I think in in this case and this no empathy at all you know you're letting a psychopath back out onto the streets if you let someone like this man out and I think the judge knew that and understood that. Um, and you know, so whole life for him will mean whole life. And, um, you know, there's no tariff or minimum tariff or set tariffs for him at all. Life means life. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you're going to have some do-gooders 30 years down the line that's want to try and put this man back out. You know, um, <laughs> we just don't know. But at the moment, this judge, and it's held this case, it's a safe case, this case, and it's a total whole life sentence for this man. And, and thank God, actually, that this judge, you know, uh, Justice uh, Syth, actually believed that this was what this man deserved and what this man should get. And I think, I'm hoping that this is never going to bring these kids back, right, to, to this family. But I think it shows that justice here was done. This family is a lovely family who are suffering enough and to have given this man a low sentence would have been awful for them. So in this case, I think the justice system has worked for them, absolutely. And I'm, I'm so pleased that it has. And I think um, on January the 6th, uh, 2016, the Metropolitan Police actually referred itself to the Independent Police Complaints Commission um, over its handling of this inquiry. Um, you know, because we don't, we can't have perpetrators like this doing a murder and going abroad and thinking that they can get away with it and then the time and the money and, and stuff it costs. So I think in any murder now, I think especially when it, whether it's domestic homicide or, or, or what it is, is that you know these scenes are secured quite quickly. You believe the family when the family is saying to you that she had not run away and took her children away. There was something wrong. And so the police have um, sorted out that. So hopefully now that, that Really, I think now I think that wouldn't happen again so much. It wasn't a long time. Um, this issue, it wasn't. You know, it didn't go on for months and months and months. But it was enough time to have not have arrested him straight away, and even had him where then he can't leave the country, where they had then time to investigate this crime better. But I think overall, this crime was um, completed quite quickly. And I think for once, I can sit here and say to you that the sentence that this man got is what he deserved, really. And it's very rare, isn't it, that I can actually sit here and say to you, wow, you know, he's got life, meaning life, in prison. So I hope you found this case interesting. 
I hope I'll get some comments on it and I wish you all well. And all the comments are, are lovely. I, I love them. And so thank you to the people that work with cases with domestic abuse and, the, and with the people that are, you know, really struggling with domestic abuse as we're in this lockdown and, and, and domestic abuse has gone up even more. So, I, you know, and I know you email me and you, you comment and stuff and say, great work, Chrissy. Well, great work to you. I think without the work that these charitable organisations do, and a lot of them are charitable because the money doesn't come from government or, you know, a lot of it to support people of domestic abuse. Um, these are charity-run organisations and these people that run these organisations and work in these organisations deserve every credit. So I wish you all well and, you know, I hope you're enjoying these cases. I know you are, you tell me you are. And um, I hope, you know, it puts that awareness out there to people. So if you are suffering from domestic abuse, you can speak to someone and you should speak to someone before making a decision about what's best for you to do. You need to talk to someone. It's always best to talk. You haven't got to sit in silence. You haven't got to put up with domestic abuse.